But the way Brock Purdy played today, like it shut up all of his haters, all of his doubters. Look, I, I make no doubt about it. Like I'm a huge Brock Purdy fan because I love the way he plays the game. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Chasing It. Trey Wingo here with Chase Daniel for the 33rd team. And Chase, we have to start with the heavyweight battle between the two NFC Titans, the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. It was a rematch of the NFC Championship game, but this time it was the Niners that absolutely punched the Eagles in the mouth, especially in the second half, and didn't stop punching. This was bully ball. And essentially, the 49ers just absolutely physically whooped uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, that's what you said in our text thread, and I loved it. And I tweeted it. I'm like, dude, this is absolutely, you're right, it's bully ball. Like, it truly is. Like, yeah. it, it, it was, I thought the game, look, I picked the Eagles. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I picked the Eagles, and I should have known better because San Fran was coming off nine days of rest. They were going across country. Philly played 94 uh, snaps on defense uh, the week before in Buffalo, and they just looked worn out. They looked tired. Jalen Hurts even got like went to the locker room for a little bit, came back, ended up. But at the end of the day, like the story of the game, without a doubt, is Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy. Like if you can't tell yep. me right now that Brock Purdy goes on the road in a revenge game, NFC Championship game match rematch which they were playing their third-string guy. Christian McCaffrey was playing quarterback last time there in Philly. But the way Brock Purdy played today, like, it shut up all of his haters, all of his doubters. Look, I, I make no doubt about it. Like, I'm a huge Brock Purdy fan because I love the way he plays the game. I like how he is within the pocket. I like how calm, cool, and collected he is. He has a wealth of weapons, yes. He has a crazy creative offensive head coach yes you still have to pull the trigger and you and i were texting during the game we were talking about some of these third down throws that he was making like yeah. stuff wasn't as wide open as it used to be and this dude just kept shooting four touchdowns over 300 yards passing the passer rating is what i look at it's how efficient you are 148.8 like it does not get any better for them and how in the world that's the, how in the world did this team lose three straight like I don't, I don't get it. They got their well, their stuff right. It, it, like it is insane to me. Well, listen, and, and you're going to hate this for me, but I, I can absolutely point to why they lost three straight. It's strange because everybody has to play, right? Everybody yep. needs to play. Like in the NFL, wins and losses are attributed to two people: coaches and quarterbacks. And I totally get it, putting it on coaches. I understand because you're in charge of the entire thing. I will never understand why wins and losses are a quarterback stat. You and I talked about it when uh, the, the 49ers lost to Cleveland. When Brock Purdy did his job, he drove them down to a, a potentially game-winning yep. field goal uh, at the last play of the game, which was basically an extended extra point, and the kicker just missed it. When, when Trent Williams and Debo Samuel play – and do not leave a game because of injury. They left the game because of injury in the Cleveland game, and they missed the next two games. The 49ers are 9-0. and When they when those Wild. two guys aren't there, they're 0-3. So my point is, we all get enamored with quarterbacks, and I know you're a quarterback. I get it. You love yourself. It's wonderful. It's fascinating. But teams win games. Teams win championships. And what yeah. we saw from San Francisco is when their entire team was on the field – 
they are an immensely talented football team capable of taking it all the way. Yeah, and it starts with Debo Samuel. I mean, I, I'm glad you said that because the dude Absolutely. went off three total touchdowns. And that's what, I, like, you can really tell, like, the, the first three to four games back, he, he made some plays. But for whatever reason, he ran more angry today. He ran faster today. They got him the ball more often. And that's what I've seen with Debo over this time with Brock Purdy and Kyle Shannon. If you get him the ball early and often, like it, they're in for a good game. And, and I've talked about it with a lot of head coaches before and a lot of offensive play callers that I've been with. It's like, hey, like like uh, Joe Lombardi, Brandon Staley, like, hey, we need to get Mike Williams the ball early and get him like yeah. a catch or two on the first drive. They feel a part of the game plan. How it is in New Orleans when I was there with Mike Thomas. Let's just get Mike two or three easy catches, even if it's a hitch route or a slant route, he feels a part of the game. That's how Debo Samuel is. The dude is a bona fide superstar. He could hurt you so many ways. That's that's the crazy thing. He's going to line up in the backfield as a running back. Okay, he's going to run the ball. He's going to line up in the backfield. He's going to run a route. He's going to line up in the receiver position. He's going to get a jet sweep. He's going to run a hitch. He's going to run a screen. Like They do it all with him. And like you said, I, I like that you said it, Like when he's on the field, him and Purdy have that connection. But the other part of the, the situation, and this guy does not get enough credit nationally, and I'm going to give his, his credit right now, is Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk makes that entire thing run. Look, I get it with Kittle. I get it with Debo. But Brandon Ayuk is a bona fide, a bona fide number one receiver that does not get enough enough love nationally. And I'm telling you, they are not having the type of success they have right now without him at receiver. All right, so what do we think of San Francisco? Because if you look at the top three teams in the NFC, it's San Francisco, it's Philadelphia, it's Dallas. San Francisco went to Philadelphia, put up 40, and beat him by double digits. San Francisco had Dallas in San Francisco, put up 40, and beat him by double digits. Are the 49ers, in your opinion, the team to beat in the NFC or the NFL? Um, yeah, I mean, right now, the the way they're playing, if you just take the last three or four weeks, absolutely, they're the team to beat in the NFL. I mean, they've they proved it. Like you said, they proved that they've mollywopped the freaking best two teams in the NFC and the way the AFC is playing Baltimore or Jacksonville. I mean, chiefs lost tonight again. Like, it's just, I don't know, you know? So I I would say, yeah, they absolutely are. But I would say also that what's lost in this whole thing about the, the 49ers being such a good offensive team is they're leading the league in points per game on defense, 15.5 points a game. That's all they're giving up. So you're going to win games, dude. Like you score me two touchdowns and a field goal. That's it with that offense. You're winning a game. Like, most likely or not, you're winning the game. And so that's what I have not seen with them yet this year is have they been able to get down quite a bit and, uh, like, mount a comeback, right? They've been down, they've lost. And that's the biggest thing with Kyle Shanahan, right? He's like 1-36 in when they're trailing at half. There's some, some crazy stat out there. It's like they haven't done that. So, so I just want to see... I mean, I want to see them tested. And I just don't know, looking at the rest of their schedule, I mean, they, they whoop Dallas, they whoop Philly. Like, I, I don't know what the rest of their schedule holds, but um, if they keep winning right now and, and Philly has a, a huge matchup in Dallas next week, like, if they're all 10-3, and 11-3 at one point, it's going to be interesting to come down to see who gets that number one spot. All right, so what's your level of concern for Philadelphia? Because going into this, uh, you know, after the, after the loss of the Jets, uh, they they beat the Commanders, but their last three games they won by a grand total of twelve points. Whether it was the Cowboys, uh, the Bills, yeah. or the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, they they barely skated by. They couldn't generate enough things. Where is your level of concern for the Eagles, who had been up until this point the most dominant team in the NFC? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you, there there is some some level of concern. They have the best record in football right now. Um, two losses, right? And and like you said, they barely won against the Bills, but it showed the type of effort you got to win those. We talked about it last week. You got to win those type of games, and they come yep. back and and win in KC, which shows me probably more because that place in KC is very difficult to win. Like I don't care who you are, I don't care what time of the year it is. Like that's a hard place to play. So I just think they need to regroup. I think that um, offensively they've hit a little bit of a snag in in what they're doing, and I think. Uh, it's they're relying too much on Jalen Hurts' arm, right? Like they need to get that run game going a little bit more. They're relying on AJ Brown too much, and teams are just what they're doing is they're playing just too high coverage, and they're manning up AJ Brown underneath. AJ Brown had two early catches, was sort of quiet the rest of the way, got some garbage time yards, and and so they're starting to figure it out a little bit. Now, are they figuring it out to a point where hey, it's all of a sudden it's the worst offense in the league? No, but. During the season, I've always been a part of teams. The best offenses I've been a part of, we reinvent ourselves a little bit through the season. After 10, right. 11 games, there's a lot of tape. People start seeing, hey, this worked. Maybe let's do this on what the Bills did, and let's do this what the Chiefs did. And then all of a sudden, it's this sort of hybrid game plan that happens, and you're not expecting it. And so I think that's what the Eagles have to work through right now. The defense is a little banged up. Their offense is a little banged up. Just got to get healthy. They got to get some rest. They faced quite the gauntlet, and, and it doesn't get any easier going going down um, Sunday to Dallas either. Well, that sets up a huge game, right? Because if Dallas can find a way to win that game, and by the way, they've won 14 straight games at home, uh, longest active streak in the NFL, second longest active, second longest streak for the Cowboys in franchise history, suddenly the Cowboys would be uh, in command for the, for the NFC East title, and the Eagles would drop down to the five seed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's wild, it, 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 and, that, and that's what we talked about. I talked about it on TV a couple days ago. Just, just the battle of the NFC East and how it's going to come down to. And we were talking about it before the show. It's going to come down to the last few. Like so many things are going to change, right? In the next yeah. five to six weeks, and this is what this is what it's all about. Because you look at the top, and everyone in the AFC and the NFC, they're both clamoring for that one spot. There's three or four teams that are alive for that one spot, and then you look at the bottom, the five, six, seven seeds. There's like six teams on the AFC and six teams on the NFC side that are both clamoring for it. So I'm, I'm excited about this Dallas game. Um, but, I mean, it, another short week because they play and they got to go down to Dallas. They're traveling. Dallas is absolutely electric at home. Okay, Dak and the Cowboys are averaging 41 points per game at home. It's the third highest points per game at home in NFL history. Like, let that sink in. So, the right. Eagles better score some points. That Dallas defense is rolling. They're on turf. Like it, it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a, another battle of the heavyweights. And it seems like Philly, I mean, I know Buffalo's at the 10 spot right now, but they gave them all they wanted. They had the Chiefs. They had, you know, they lost today. And then they go down. To, I mean, it's just a, a heavyweight battle part of the schedule for, for, the, uh, for the Eagles. Are they going to get through it with a couple more wins and come out strong on the other side? I don't know. It's too early to tell. It's really weird because it looks like we're doing the same thing all over again with Philadelphia at the end of the regular season. Last year, Jalen Hurts got injured, missed a couple of games, and they had to have that last win in Week 18 to secure the number one seed and make sure they were good to go and have the bye and everything else. Jalen gets banged up a little bit again today, goes and gets evaluated for a concussion. We know he's dealing with a bruised knee. It just feels like for the second straight year, the Eagles are kind of limping to the finish. They made it to the Super Bowl a year ago. They very well could make yeah. the Super Bowl this year, but it doesn't feel like as we get closer to the end of the season, they're firing on all cylinders. You, you mentioned yeah. the Kansas City Chiefs. In the Sunday night game, uh, we saw the Chiefs fall to 8-4. and four. 
as as uh, the Packers beat them. Um, the thing that was interesting to me in this game is that this was the first time in 16 games that the Chiefs defense surrendered 24 or more points. They had gone 15 straight games without giving up 24 or more points. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, like, fluid for, for most of the game. But the Green Bay Packers are now in the middle of the playoff hunt in the NFC, and Jordan Love grew up right before our very eyes. Yeah, I mean, the, the story of the game, like, I don't care about Patrick Mahomes or the horrible officiating on that last horrible. drive in the whole game. Horrible. It was beyond horrible. Three missed calls. The missed DPI is a game-changing DPI, okay? Correct. They missed the call on Mahomes that should not have been, um, like, whatever it is. That was, that was a horrible foul. call. And then MVS yeah. was going backwards. The clock should have ran. So, it's just overall a horrible, horrible day for officiating throughout the league. It needs to get fixed. We need full time. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Jordan Love. Okay, listen to this stat about Jordan Love. Crazy. Never would have thought it. And we just talked about Brock Purdy. It's Jordan Love's fourth game this season with three touchdown passes, no interceptions. Okay, it's tied for the lead league with Brock Purdy. No yeah. one would have thought that. It's wild to me. He is growing up before our eyes. And I've done a deep dive on Jordan Love the last couple weeks against the Lions, the Chargers. I watched intently tonight. And what I saw is a guy that is no longer, uh, they're no longer losing because of him. And I'm not saying they were losing because of him. They maybe weren't winning. Now they're winning because of him. And that, right. to me, is a telltale sign of a quarterback that grows up, okay? It's not like, hey, we sort of got to game manage them, hope we stay in it, which they were doing early in the year, and it showed by LaFleur's play calling. Like, I, it just wasn't aggressive. Now, this game plan against the Chiefs' defense, which was number one or number two heading in, was excellent. Like, you've got to give LaFleur's flowers because they had a – Excellent game plan. It was a bunch of kill-kill, can-can, which means, hey, we're going to this play versus one look, this play versus another look. They were calling three plays at the line of scrimmage tray. Like, that to me just shows yeah. the mental aptitude on which Jordan Love can go out there and run an entire offense. And that's what you need versus a team like this with the Chiefs that blitzes a lot, throws in tricky cover two coverages, gets out, drops eight. you got to have all these type, And they were able to run the football, ran for over 100 yards. That's the key versus Chiefs team. The Chiefs got... One drive in the first quarter. One drive. You know what the fastest way to frustrate the best player in football? Give them one drive in the first quarter. They had three, three and a half in the first half. That's it. The first half lasted an hour 20. And it was nuts. So, like, all this matters with the Packers. And right now, six and six, I think they're the five seed, which you would have told me this a month ago with these young rookie receivers, young rookie tight ends or best tight ends out. They've had some injuries. It's a piecework offensive line that's gotten better. They're just consistently growing. They're the youngest offense in football right now. It's really impressive to watch. Well, they're one of the youngest teams in football. And we'll get to what this means for the playoff picture in the NFC in a minute. Where is your level of concern for Kansas City? Because once again, uh, I mean, to me, the difference in this game was what happened in the red zone in the first half. The, Chief, the, uh, the Packers went down and scored two touchdowns. The Chiefs drove right down the field twice, had turnovers, not turnovers, excuse me, had penalties, had sacks, penalties, and that was the yeah. difference in the game. Um, it, Mahomes throws a, a, an interception, which I think you could probably blame on Sky Moore for not running the complete route in that situation. But what is your level of concern for Kansas City, who now finds himself, had they had won, they would have leaped, 
leapfrogged Baltimore for the number one seed. Now they've fallen all the way down to the four seed, even though they have the tiebreaker against both Jacksonville and Miami having beaten them both. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to be a little bit concerned because um, you know they're just they're not they're not doing it on offense this year, man. For whatever reason, nope. and the reason is the receiver room, and 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 their and Kelsey is is for the most part been under wraps, only seven hundred yards, five touchdowns. We're saying only he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, but it's not Kelsey like numbers. They're not moving the ball. They're averaging an entire touchdown less points per game. Okay, six less points per game than they were last year. So. Um, and I just go back to, I go back to the receiver room. Like there's just not, like, I just wonder, like, I really wonder. And I talk about this all the time with with some close friends. Like if they would have just gone out and got a true number one receiver, like MVS, I love you, dude. Like it, like go out and get a 20 million. It it ain't happening. And like, go out and get a true number one. Yes. Like, like he was available. Like someone like that to really be able on the other side of Kelsey to compliment it. Pacheco got kicked out of the game for throwing a right hook. Like he's playing all right, but you lose him. And it is just, it just, it looks harder for that offense to move the ball. I think that's the biggest thing. Like it looked easy for so long when they're making plays and moving the ball. Now it looks difficult. Like it's like Mahomes having to make a superhuman play almost every series where it was like one or two a game in the past couple of years. So he's, he's probably pushing a little bit. He's probably pressing. Um, so it just doesn't look good. If you're a fan of the KC chiefs offense right now, the defense got whooped a little bit tonight. They'll be fine. They'll be regrouped. And at the end of the day, like, dude, we're talking about, we're talking about Patrick Mahomes, right? He's got that Mahomes magic. He's the best player on the planet. Like th- they'll get it right, but they better hurry up or they're going to be playing on the road. Uh, come January and February. By the way, that's something that's never happened. Patrick Mahomes has never played a road yeah. playoff game in his career. Crazy. Since since he got since he became the starter full time, discounting the one start he had his rookie year, twenty seventeen. The Chiefs have only hosted AFC Championship games. Before he got there, they had never hosted an AFC Championship game. They'll get yeah. listen. They're going to win their division. They'll get at least one playoff game at home. But if they don't, if they don't like run the table, uh, the odds are their second round game will be on the road, and their third round game, if they make it to the AFC Championship game, will be on the road, which would be a very, very different scenario for uh, uh, yeah. for the uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, so you know we all thought that when this season started, the AFC South was going to be like the easiest division of football. The Jaguars were going to cruise to that. But when it's all said and done, they may get three teams in the postseason from the AFC South. So let's bring in our special guests to talk about that and a couple other things. So delighted to be joined on Chasing It Right Now with uh, former NFL head coach Chuck Pagano. Chuck, let's start with your old team, Indianapolis. Look, there's a million ways to look at this. It was an amazing comeback game for them. But at the end of the day, they were able to do what they did today because of what they did in the offseason, which is make sure that they had a capable backup. And they certainly proved that they do in Gardner Minshew. Yeah, no doubt about it. It looks like they've, you know, hit a home run with Shane Steichen. You know, he's just been unbelievable in his rookie campaign there in Indy. Uh, All the adversity that they've gone through to this point, you know, no Jonathan Taylor early. Now Jonathan Taylor out again. Zach Moss comes in. He runs his tail off. Not Not so good today against that stingy Titans defense. But then, you know, you lose Anthony Richardson. Uh, Grover Stewart gets suspended. It just seems like one thing after another, but he's a, he's as cool as a cucumber and, and great win for them today. 
uh, sitting at seven and five. I think they're in the seventh seed right now uh, in the in the AFC. And and Gardner Minshew, I, I mean, he drives me freaking nuts, man. I mean, he <laughs> he was giving me agita today. You know, you know what agita oh is? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It starts so he's here. Giving me agita, but it's like, oh no, 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 no. Great job, Gardner. You know, so. You know, he he was just unbelievable. The big plays that he made today, uh, the one in overtime, obviously, the, the big throw to to uh, Alec Pierce and then the, the go-ahead. What a great call and play design on, on the go-ahead touchdown uh, pass to, to Pittman. But, Mitchell, I mean, it made all the sense in the world, right? I mean, just common sense. Like, okay, we're going to draft a rookie like we talked about, and we're going to bring Gardner over, who's a proven uh, vet backup who can help you know, with this rookie's development. And if he's got to play and he's got to play extended innings, he can go win games for us. Yeah. Coach, talk about the dynamic a little bit. I'm glad you hit on it with Gardner coming in, right? Like when they brought him in, Sykin brought him in because he knew him from his time in Philly. He's a backup, but he's also, I mean, on one of those borderline starters, he's one of those guys that you're like, hey, I wish we probably would have went with this guy a little earlier if, you're, if your starter's not playing well. But talk about the dynamic of a backup like Gardner coming in and saying, hey, you know it's your team. Anthony Richardson's out for the year. And, like, let's just roll with it because you sort of got to change the dynamic of your offense because they were going more of the run first with the quarterback. How does that work with a coaching staff and a player? Like, hey, now we got to move to what Gardner Minshew does really well. Yeah, obviously, you know, Shane knows him uh, as well as anybody and knows – uh, you know, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. Obviously, you're not going to be a bunch of RPOs. You're not going to do a lot of, you know, quarterback design runs with him like you do with Anthony Richardson. So uh, that's where Shane, to me, is the, the, the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the play caller, uh, game planning with that offensive staff there. Uh, it's just an unbelievable job, you know, that they've done. And, you know, um, yeah, he he's just done, he's just done a, fa- a fantastic job. And to your point about Gardner, about, you know, just the selflessness of that guy um, and coming in and, and, and saying, yeah, this is your team. And, and when Anthony went out and he missed some time, he goes in, he plays, they win. Anthony comes back. Hey, this is your team. Gives, gives the reins right right back to him. So there's, there's zero ego there. Um, you know that team loves him. You know that locker room, Chase, lo- loves yeah. him, right? Just for yeah. the oh, for sure. The That's that half the is. battle. He's a man's man, a guy's guy, a pro's pro, all that stuff. You know he's gonna he's gonna be tough as hell. He's a, a top competitor, all that stuff. Yeah, he's gonna have some miscues, but we can all put up with that as as coaches and players, right? If a guy makes a mistake, it isn't because of lack of grit yeah. and competitiveness and toughness and and the way the guy prepares. So, yeah, it, what a great gift for them. Accountability is what you want at the end of the day, is accountability, and he's proven that. Listen, before we move on to another AFC South team that played a great game today, I want to just go back to something you said about Shane Steichen. You said it looks like a home run. From a guy who's played, I mean, excuse me, a guy who's coached in the NFL at the highest level where Shane is right now, what is it about the things that he's doing that you see that make you say that about him being a home run? Well, you just mentioned it, the accountability. We all talk about culture, right? It's so easy to throw that word around now. Hey, culture this, culture that, right? But it's another to, to go in and, and create one, build one, uh, lay your vision out, your plan out, and then live it, you know, day in and day out. I tweeted something out this weekend about him being the captain of the of this ship, CAP, an acronym, 
And it was, it was for consistency, accountability, and passion. And he's been the same dude ever since wow. he walked in that, that building. And I'm sure he got the same advice, Trey, that I got, you know, when I first, you know, got the indie job back in 2012, Mar- Marvin Lewis, bunch of guys, hey, be you. Do not change a single thing about yourself, you know, because what you've done to this point that got you this job, that, that's going to be good enough. So uh, credit to him for, for that consistency. He's built a culture of accountability. He holds himself accountable. He holds the players accountable and, and not just it's every one of them, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and he just uh, and, and he's very passionate. You know, you watch him in that locker room with his team. He's a top competitor. You know, he hates losing more than winning. And, and that's what Jim Irsay, you know, Jim hates losing yeah. more than he loves winning. And so I, I, I know what, you know, was appealing to Jim through that whole, you know, interview process and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, he, he's, he's done a hell of a job. Okay, so let's move on to the other team in the AFC South. And we're looking at the possibility of potentially three teams from the AFC South making the postseason. I think there are zero people outside of family members of players in the AFC South that thought that would be a possibility But when the season began. You can't say enough about what we saw again from the Houston Texans because, Coach, the Denver Broncos came into this game as hot as anybody. They had a five-game winning streak, tied for the active, longest active winning streak with the Philadelphia Eagles at the, at the start of the day. Uh, in the NFL. Their defense had been playing unbelievably well. They light them up for points in the first half. They hang on in the second half and come up with a huge turnover to seal the deal. Yeah. What impresses you most about what we're seeing out of the Houston Texans? Yeah, I mean, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback, um, the way he's got that defense playing, it's just, it's, it's you know, it just so, it's very reminiscent of you know my first year and i missed you know most of the year obviously we all know the story but you know rookie head coach rookie gm rookie quarterback and andrew luck uh yeah it's just it's just phenomenal and and it it starts with D'Amico, his temperament he's a defensive guy that showed up today i think denver was 0 for 11 today on on third down and they didn't get going until the second half and and had a chance there late and i think they get their third interception of the game, right to to seal that seal that win. And Chase, you you saw I watched the play. They ran double post. They probably figured they're going to get quarters, and it's wide open. But the, he gets pressure, and and Russell's got to spin out of it, right? And then he yeah. throws it too late, and the corner gets to come off and makes the great interception. So um, I just I love what D'Amico's doing on defense. Uh, it sure looks like you know he hit a home run, and Bobby Slowick Jr., you know the offensive play caller down there. Uh, I mean, an absolute home run with the quarterback. I mean, what are you going to – C.J. Stroud is, is – is, I mean, we talk about him uh, a lot, you know, on, on the 33rd team. And Mike Martz yeah. has got – I mean, you guys all know who he's compared him to, you know, going yeah. through. Mike's had as good a players and coach as good a quarterbacks as there is. So, I mean, he knows better than anybody. So, the way that guy's playing, Will Anderson Jr., Nico, it looks like, you know, Tank Dell – might have you mentioned earlier, Trey might be done, you know, with a, looks like a fractured leg. Yeah, it looks like a fractured oh, leg, man. But I mean, that pick, and that was CJ, I guess. I just learned that today, yeah. right? He convinced, yeah. you know, D'Amico and, and the personnel, the evaluators there, Nick Casario, to, to bring this guy in. And uh, Nico Collins, I mean, Christ, uh, I mean, you can go on and on and on. So, yeah. great story down there in, in Houston, Bruin. 
Well, let's talk a little bit more. I want to ask you specifically about CJ. And, you know, when I'm breaking him down, I broke him down almost every single game. Like, he's special, in my opinion, right? You've watched a lot about him. You, you've talked a lot about him. What in your mind makes him special? Because, quite honestly, like, I, I said it on national TV the other day. I was like, hey, look, at the end of the day, D'Amico Ryans um, is the catalyst for that. But CJ Stroud makes the whole engine go, right? Like, you, the, you can coach as much as you want, but if you don't have a quarterback – like they seem to have found the next decade, decade and a half long. What makes him, in your mind, so special? Yeah, Chase. I mean, it's it's like having Andrew. You know, when I when I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to get the, you know, the Colts gig. I yeah. mean, you're by the right. way, great wordplay there. When I had Andrew, when I was lucky enough, and I, I we caught that. Just so you know, we all caught that. Nicely done. Yeah, yeah. and I'm. I'm not a great test taker like like CJ. You know, every now and then, I'll stumble. I'll stumble uh, across a couple of those things. But but anyway, yeah. Um, you don't have a cue at any level. You can't win. It's hard to win, right? So, yeah. This kid, natural thrower. He's he's unflappable. His processing, the way he sees the game, sees the field, can manipulate. You know the pocket. Eyes are always downfield. Accuracy, Chase. I'm all the things that you know yep. playing that position yep. uh, at the highest level for so so long. All the things that you that you look for, you know, making great decisions. Um, Orlowski, Dan Do always talks about problem solver. He looks like he can. You know, there's some bad situations that may may start to happen. Maybe things at the line of scrimmage. He's solving problems, and and he's just that that ball comes so effortlessly off his hand quick release and, yep. and he's yeah. in the release and and the accuracy and he and he just and he and the human being side of it he just yeah. seems like like when you get to know this guy and you listen to him talk and then you listen to everybody else talk about about cj he just seems like a, a special special human being why do you or, think he's able again. to have success so early, though? Because that, that's, the, that's the biggest thing. You talk about Andrew Luck. You talk about all these other quarterbacks. And I've been around some rookies. They have not been successful in the first year. Do you think it's Bobby Sloak's play calling? Do you think it's the pedigree from Ohio State, how many big games he's played in? Like, that's when I, like people don't understand. When I turn on the tape and we actually break it down and look at the All-22, he looks in no way like a rookie quarterback. He's not scared to make throws. He gets the ball out quickly. He always has an answer. Why do you think that is? Yeah, um, you're right about that. He's, he's he's not afraid to make those throws, and and I just think to your point, Chase. Like he's played a lot of football, right? And he's played it, you know, at the, at the highest level coming in. So he's he's got the experience. Um, I, I think he's out to prove. You know, a lot of people. He plays with a chip on his shoulder, I believe, um, because of you know what everybody said. You know, coming when he came out and all that stuff, but. Um, yeah, I just I just think the way he sees the game and the the way he processes Bobby Slowick, absolutely that that the system the Shanahan system that he's run that he runs uh, I think it's obviously when you look at San Fran and you look at Kyle Shanahan and what he's done specifically at the quarterback spot what Brock Purdy was able to do coming in as Mister Irrelevant in that system in that offense I think it's quarterback friendly. Uh, but you yep. still have to have, you know, a, a brain. You still have to have the talent and all that stuff. But I just think a, a combination of, of, you know, whoever what they put together down there 
on an offensive staff wise, the coordinator, uh, Slowick, and then the talent level and the experience and, and yeah. just a little bit of like everything. This, this guy's makes sense. This guy's a gunslinger. Yeah, he certainly is. Uh, Coach, as always, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you, sir. Okay, so the AFC South has the potential to put three teams in the postseason. So does the AFC North. But Chase, one of those three teams that might make the postseason in the oh. AFC North took a devastating blow on Sunday. Kenny Pickett, ankle injury. All the reports out there, he's going to miss multiple weeks. Uh, where are we on the concern for the Pittsburgh Steelers? They got blown out at home by the Arizona Cardinals. The James Conner revenge tour was in full force. Yeah. Yes. But this, you know, like the, 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 the Steelers fired their offensive quarter, Matt Canada, and for like one game they had 400 yards of offense. The honeymoon lasted four quarters. I know, dude. I know. And, and honestly, like, the, I, I never brought myself to actually watch Pittsburgh film on offense, maybe defense, because it's just not really – it's not really cool to watch. It's, it's like asking boring. yourself to punch yourself in the face. I get it. Yeah. Yes. But, but I did last week because they got over 400 yards, 458 to be exact, first time in 58 games, and it was a completely different offense. Kenny Pickett looked – actually capable he was going through his reads correctly he was hitting people in stride he was throwing accurately and all of a sudden ankle injury two to four weeks he's literally i I, i've read multiple places he's having ankle surgery monday morning uh so it's going to be mitch trubisky um for at least at least four weeks um and they're right in the thick of the playoff race and so um it's going to be interesting because we hit we hit on this a couple weeks we ago, like I thought, ago. Mitch, and we, and we I said, thought Mitch would need a Mitch chance. We said Mitch was a better option. So do we still feel and, that way? And, well, we're going to see. We're going to see. I, look, I don't ever, because I've done it, I don't ever uh, judge backup quarterbacks going into a game cold when you have a 21-point deficit because it's just you're throwing. You don't get a whole week yeah. of practice. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um, I think they'll be able to run the football with him a little more. I think they'll probably put some – um, RPO stuff in because he feels really comfortable with that. Some Zode Reed stuff, uses legs. Um, and look, at the end of the day, Pittsburgh always has a chance because of their defense, okay? But today, I mean, dude, the Arizona Cardinals whooped up on them. So there is a level of concern for me there, especially um, because I actually liked Pickett. And it's going to be interesting to see how this new quarterback coach who's calling plays for them and Mitch Trubisky work together, see if they can get something going together because today was not it. Today was definitively not it. Today was also a little bit it for one quarterback, uh, mm. Joe Flacco. Look, I get it. The Browns lost. They lost by double digits. But Chase, the way Joe Flacco played and the numbers he put up, there are so many quarterback needy teams out there. How did 38-year-old Joe Flacco just sit there until Cleveland decided to pick him up? And I'm going to throw this out there. If the Jets had done what the Browns had done, just got, brought Joe Flacco in there and, and taking care of business, they might not be hopelessly out of the postseason picture. It makes zero sense to me. We've talked about it this whole year. We've been huge Joe Flacco fans. Absolutely. The dude has played exceptional ball. And today, I mean, the way he started the first drive, six of seven, like 56 yards, a touchdown, and they finished. He threw that bad interception late. I don't care. He'd been on the couch. Um, but he played, he played amazing. That's the biggest thing, right? These backup quarterbacks, like you have people that can play football at an extremely high level and just ultimately give you a better chance to win. And that's what the biggest thing for me is the jets, right? You hit it. 
the Jets. How can you let this happen to you where you're so far down the quarterback line? You you literally played, you benched your third stringer today, Tim Boyle, and you went with your fourth stringer, Trevor Simeon. Okay, you're trying to find a spark. That ain't it. Joe Flacco had been sitting there nope. the entire time, and I guarantee you, if you would have signed him, you were right in the thick of the playoff hunt. Listen, here's his line from today. 23 of 44, 254 yards, two touchdowns, and one bad interception. You know what I can promise you? There's not a Jets quarterback this season that completed uh, that many passes for 254 yards and two touchdowns. Like, it doesn't exist. Uh, it, it makes no sense. And by the way, let, let's just be yeah. clear about this also. If Aaron Rodgers thinks he's miraculously healed and wants to come back and play, who am I to stop him, right? Who are you? But what are you doing? Okay, the Jets are, are now four and eight. Yeah. The Jets are now four and eight. Only the Patriots have a worse record in the AFC than uh, the New York Jets. There's no chance in hell they're making the playoffs. So if you're Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, what are you bringing him back for? What are you rushing this process for? It's not for team. It's not for uh, potential to to get into the postseason. If you guys decide to do this, it's for Aaron Rodgers' glory, and that's it. And you are yeah. risking the idea of re-injuring the Achilles and then having next season in jeopardy for Aaron Rodgers. So if you are all in on Aaron Rodgers being your quarterback for the Jets, and if you as a franchise are deciding that this is the most important thing we have, what in the hell are you even thinking about playing him this season for? I have no clue. I mean, that's a great question. And at the end of the day, I mean, the person who's going to make the decision is Aaron Rodgers. And so if Aaron Rodgers tells that so franchise that he Rogers wants to play. So why is Aaron Rodgers making that decision? Chase, I why would Aaron Rodgers make that decision? I think he wants to prove something. They're I think he make, wants to prove something. Right. They're not making the playoffs. It has nothing yeah. to do with what the Jets can do. So is this about you showing that you beat medicine? Congratulations. It has to be. How does that help you? How does that help you? Like, what's the win for you? And what's the win for the team? Because the guy that came back the fastest ever in NFL history from an Achilles running back Cam Akers, guess what he did? He re-injured the Achilles. And now if, if you're Aaron Rodgers and you do that, this you're putting 2024, 2025 season in jeopardy. Yeah. This is the dumbest thing ever. No one should yeah. even entertain the idea of Aaron Rodgers playing this season. I just I think that I'm more interested in the doctor or doctors that actually cleared him to be practicing because that to me is more interesting and more things that work there because I just can't imagine like you're the team doctor for the Jets and you sign off on him if he gets re-injured if he plays it's your ass it's your you cleared exactly him exactly right you cleared yep. them. So all this at work here, not just to Aaron Rodgers. Look, Aaron Rodgers is a big boy. He can do what he wants. But I just I don't I don't understand it as well. If you're if if you're doing this, you're doing it for personal glory. You're not doing it for the glory yeah. of the team. That that's yeah, it's very simple. You're you're doing it just to prove that you could do it. And at the end of the day, is that worth the potential risk of hurting yourself and putting the next season in jeopardy? It's just that simple for me. No. All right, time for Sunday shout-outs as, uh, as we close this thing up. You have a, a former teammate of yours that you'd like to recognize? Keenan Allen, baby. Okay, let's go. He had 58 yards receiving. He just crossed the 100 reception threshold. He has 102 catches this year, 
1,175 yards, seven touchdowns. He's averaging a little over 11 yards a catch. He's 31 years old, Trey. I've played with him, one of my favorite teammates all the time. How does he just keep doing it? It is insane in the separation. Like when I was with him, I'll tell you what, this dude was the hardest worker, okay? In the building, he just consistently did the right thing. And he's not hes not even that fast. thats He's not even that fast. Yeah. He is an exceptional route runner. Like I he's was so putting him in right top 10 so to 15. He's so mad. Oh, yeah. He's so I got to get him saying. a little bit. He's not super fast right now. Come yeah, on. well, I mean, you know, you know you're not, bro. Like we're, we're part of the old old men club. Like that's what we always <laughs> call ourselves. It's funny. But like the dude is still doing it. And he's, he's got to be top 10, yeah. top 15 route runners in NFL history in my opinion hall of fame career he's still doing it probably got a three or four more years in making a ton of money like sunday shout out keenan allen baby yeah i'm gonna follow that up with another wide receiver my sunday shout out is mike evans 10th straight season good one he's had at least a thousand receiving yards and there were there were a couple that came close like one year he had 1036 like one year he had a thousand like four like he barely crossed it but but why is that significant well look at the quarterbacks that he's had to deal with over his career uh, in Tampa Bay. There's been a few outside of two years with Tom Brady. It's been like, who are these guys throwing to Mike Evans? Right. Yeah. And and why is a 10th straight, uh, a thousand yard season, thousand yard receiving season significant because there's only one player in NFL history who has a longer streak of a thousand yard receiving, uh, seasons. And that's the goat hall of famer, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice had 14 straight receiving seasons of at least 1,000 yards. And, oh, by the way, there was a time a few years ago when Jerry Rice was named the greatest player in the history of the NFL. Not the greatest wide receiver, the greatest player to ever put on shoulder pads and a helmet. So if the list is Jerry Rice and you, and that's the only two people that have at least 10 consecutive seasons of 1,000 receiving yards – then you are Hall of Fame worthy. And I go back to the the love affair so many had, Chase, with Johnny Manziel when he was uh, at Texas A&M, the same time with Mike Evans. And as as it turns out, it might not have been Johnny Football. In all likelihood, it was probably Mike Evans making all those plays because one of them is still playing in the NFL and cranking up production at a high level. The other one is doing a Netflix series admitting he never studied tape. (laughs) hey man gold jacket in my opinion shout out keenan allen mike evans our sunday shout outs baby let's go and johnny manzel is on the party circuit all right that'll do it for this edition of chasing it chase as always love you brother we'll talk to you next week love you man 